So, we're looking at the book of Jude again today. And if you remember last week, uh, it looked a little bit like an episode of Crime Watch UK. Uh, we heard Jude's appeal for us to contend for the faith. Why? Because of the criminal behavior of false teachers who were a very real danger to the church of the day, and even still today. And Jude provided for us, in verses 1 to 19, something of a photo fit of a false teacher. This is generally what they look like. They're driven by instinct, remember? Not the truth of God's revealed word. They're driven by greed. They are shepherds who feed themselves. They don't really care for the people that they are seemingly caring for. Well, if last week was a little bit like Crime Watch UK, this week is a little bit like Crime Stoppers. Uh, Crime Stoppers exist to help us take preventative measures to stop ourselves becoming the victim of crimes. So they give us advice, and we all need it. Uh, one Sunday, on a Sunday just like this, uh, uh, Catherine and I and the kids, we pulled up to our house and then, you know, with the kids in hand and bag in hand and walking down to the front door, the front door was wide open. And we thought, oh no, we think we've been burgled. But actually, we just forgot to close the door. <laughs> Crime Stoppers exists. For people like us and to those who run the buildings group, I'm very sorry and it will not happen ever again. Crime stoppers exist to tell you things like don't leave your valuables in plain sight in your car, for example. You're just inviting someone to come along, break in and steal it. Okay, all of these things are preventative measures, things that help us, help stop us falling prey to such criminals. And in the same way, I would argue that Jude, having given us a photo fit of a false teacher in verses 1 to 9, uh, warning us as to the danger of coming under their influence, then in verses 20 to 25, serves a little bit like crime stoppers to say, if you want to know actually how to contend for the faith, how to fight for the faith, how to stand up for your faith, listen into verses 20 to 25. Would you turn there with me for a sec? If you're not used to finding your way around the Bible, Jude is just a, a single chapter, if you like. It is immediately before the book of Revelation at the end. So if you go to Revelation and just keep turning back until you find the book of Jude. It's there. It should be just on a single page, maybe two. And Jude 20 to 25 reads like this. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith, and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating, hating, even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. And to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now 
and forevermore. Amen. So let me give you a little bit of a map of where we're going today. There are basically two major points here. Number one, in Ju- as part of Jude's strategy for contending for the faith, number one, build yourselves up. Number two, give your God praise. Under build yourselves up, you, if you're taking notes, you might say 1A is encourage one another to build up the faith. This is what Jude is calling us to do, isn't he? And it's a collective commitment. I think we need to notice that before we go on to deal with the actual things that he calls us to do. I want you to see the plurals in here. Did you notice from verse 20 and 21? But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Then verse 21, keep yourselves in God's love. What Jude is helping us to see is that contending for the faith, standing up for the revealed truth of God, is a collective endeavor that is committed to the people who belong to a local church. There are no lone rangers when it comes to the Christian faith. So it's impossible for those people who sit at home and just watch their TVs or who listen to sermons online and so on, nigh impossible for them to truly have the kind of fellowship and the ability to contend that Jude prescribes for us here. Now, you might think, well, what about those who can't actually make it out because of ill health? Well, that's why we visit them. Well, that's why we take care to make sure that they are doing well, that we, when we go, we open the Bible with them and pray with them. It's a very, very important thing. But those to separate them from that kind of situation, those who just sit and listen to sermons online or read their books and think, well, mine is a very personal faith, I would argue may not even be Christian because it grates and goes against the kind of things that Jude is prescribing for us here. Again, we have an example of why belonging to a local church, family, is actually of such vital importance. We need one another in order to contend for the faith. We're on a team. We're on a team. But what does this team do? Well, we build. There is a collective commitment to essentially what is a building project. Look again at verse 20. Build yourselves up in what? Your most holy faith. Now, as I mentioned last week, the word faith in here doesn't refer to that act of believing, but to the content of God's revealed truth as we have it in the Bible. That's what Jude wants us to be built up in. And the word building here is essentially borrowed from the realm of architecture and construction. Uh, Think about the Olympic Stadium for a second. It took nearly five years to build Uh, But amazingly, you can watch its construction in the space of three minutes. I can't remember if it was on BBC or YouTube this week. Uh, It's part of my research. Uh, Had a wee look and watched. And uh, you could see the foundations being set, all the ground being cleared. And what, uh, I can't remember who did it, but they essentially had a time delay video thing. Which means that they take a photograph at the same time every day. And then they put it all together and speed it up so that you can watch it all in the space of three minutes. And it's fascinating to see. You've got the foundations there, and then you just see this building, you know, going up and up and up and up and up. And all round, you see it just going up and up and up until it's finally finished. Um, And I think that's something of the idea that Jude's trying to communicate with us. That God has set a firm foundation in the most holy faith for us. 
That's God's revealed truth. And on this foundation, a structure is supposed to rise to the glory of God, and it is the church, built up into what it's supposed to be, not built up by adding to the faith, not at all, far from it, and completely opposite. But being built up into what we are supposed to be according to the great architect, God, according to his blueprint. That's what we're supposed to see. And in Jude 20 to 21, this building involves, this building work that we are collectively committed to takes four forms. One, teaching. When ungodly people are dividing the church through error and immorality, we must work to build unity and togetherness by teaching the truth to one another and letting it come across how excited and glad we are that we can know the truth and learn more about the truth and go deeper into the truth. And I wonder if that's your mentality, even as we consider this. Certainly the responsibility of all the leaders in a church but it's everyone's responsibility. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. What, just so that you can personally enjoy it? No. And so that you could, sorry, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you, here's the purpose, teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. So God's truth is not given to you to hoard. It's given to you to love, yes, but to share with others who know Jesus so that you can be built up and to share with others who don't know Jesus so that they too can be a part of this great building. So let me ask you, are you reading the Bible? Are you reading the Bible one-to-one -one with someone? It's been such an amazing thing in my two years here so far just to see the crisscrossing of little relationships going on all over the church, people who are just reading the Bible. I love it when I hear people say, I've asked about four or five people to read the Bible one-to-one -one with me and I can't because they're all doing it. That's a great thing. Keep that up. Do it with someone. Do it for six or eight weeks or, you know, don't hog that person all to yourself. Move on. Do it with some more people. Do it with, we must be doing that. Teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Is this what you're thinking about in relation to when you come to church on a Sunday as well? Are you coming with an expectancy not just to hear the word of God preached and certainly not to kind of think, yep, that was all right. But more to the point of saying, actually, what is God saying to me today? And what would this actually look like if this was applied in my life? And are you actually talking about it with someone so that they can help you? Say, yeah, yeah, you really needed to hear that sermon. We need these things. We need to be collectively committed to building one another up through teaching. What else? Prayer, verse 20. Pray in the Holy Spirit. If you are spiritually alive as an individual... And if our church is spiritually alive in our togetherness, we will find God leading us to himself in prayer. It's, it's one of the primary ways that we together acknowledge our support of one another and especially our need for God to act. And I just love the fact that Judah's already said, I wanted to write to you about salvation, but this is a problem that's happening. There are false teachers, and I'm writing to you, contend for the faith. And we were like, right, let's, let's go. What are we going to do? Right, I want you to read your Bible, and I want you to pray. Of course. Of course. It's that simple. But we do it together. And here's the thing. To pray in the Holy Spirit. We, we can pray on our own, and we should pray on our own, of course. But we should be making a point of praying with one another. 
And if we've, made, if we've not made that a priority in our Christian life and in our church life together, then can I encourage you to work to rectify that? Even with our prayer meeting this Wednesday? Do you pray with people during the week? These things are set up for us as a priority. And I know how difficult it is, but don't forget who's helping us. I love the fact that Jude here just introduces us to a person, to the Holy Spirit. And this is the second time Jude mentions the Holy Spirit, of course. In verse 19, he said uh, that false teachers do not have the Spirit, but we do. We do. How does that help us? Well, he is the one who stirs our hearts with love for God that makes us want to communicate with him. And of course, God is a person, and to pray in the Holy Spirit is to pray with the Spirit's help and with the Spirit's leading, and that in accordance with the will of God. Again, a central part of this collective commitment to build one another up in the most holy faith, teaching, praying. Use your church directory for prayer. Another reason to become a member. There are far more biblical and theological reasons for becoming a member of a local church. But if you're not, you're not in that fellowship directory that we should be using daily, regularly for prayer. It's absolutely vital. Third thing that Jude calls us to do, uh, obeying. So verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. A strange phrase to some perhaps. How do we keep ourselves in God's love? I think the answer is in being obedient. Uh, and this is really where the rubber hits the road in terms of what we read in our Bibles and what we pray about in response to what we've read. Uh, we know what we must do. We are instructed and helped by this again and by the Holy Spirit. We keep ourselves in God's love, Jesus said, when we obey his commands. John fifteen ten says, If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. Obedience is key, and obedience is vitally, vitally important. The fourth thing we're called to do, yearning. Yearning. Keep yourselves in the love of God, verse 21, as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Now, that call is not, that call to wait is not a call to sit on our hands. It's a call to be active, but at the same time, watchful. And Jude clearly knows about the motivating power of a future hope, knowing that even as he points for the mercy of Jesus Christ, it will be ours on that great day when he returns. He's encouraging us to let that uh, prompt and spur us on in our activity now. Revelation 19 tells us that the church uh, contending for the truth has its own champion. And there is a day coming when he, that champion, that is Jesus Christ, will come and will vindicate our efforts and will himself fight the fight against, in the flesh himself against Satan's sin, death, and like many a champion has their name emblazoned on their shirt. We saw Jessica Ennis yesterday with her name emblazoned on her flag. Well, he has his name emblazoned on his robe, and it says his name is Faithful. 
and what? True. True. Again, to fully, finally deal with the error, the untruth that is propagated and pushed by these false teachers. He comes to remove any doubt. As someone has once said, there, are no, there will be no agnostics on that day. There's no fence to sit on on that day when Jesus Christ comes in all his glory, when every eye will see him and every tongue confess Jesus is Lord. The very thing that, as you see in verse 4, these godless men deny. They deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. So Jude's strategy for contending for the faith is for us to read God's word, pray in the Spirit, obey his commands, and do it all in anticipation of his return and the mercy that will be ours. And it's not easy. Remember the word contend, epagonitsumai, has essentially the word agonize in it. It's going to be tough. But again, notice this. Notice this. Who is at work in each of these things? Our triune gods. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourself in God as in the Father's love and wait for the mercy of Jesus Christ. So this is a collective effort to a building project that is power-assisted. All the resources of the Godhead at our disposal. Does anyone know how power steering works? I don't. I don't have a clue. I just know that under my bonnet, there's this little chamber that has power-assisted steering written on it. And if that level goes down, I need to fill it up. But this I know. I love power steering. Okay, compared to 14 years ago, my little white Ford Fiesta, how embarrassing. Uh, it, it was, oh, it's great. It's wonderful. It makes it far, far easier to do these things that otherwise you would have had... You know, you would have had muscles the size of these guys in the Olympics for the amount of times you had to turn your steering wheel. Well, when it comes to this Christian faith again, with all the resources of the tri our triune God at our disposal, with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit for us, with us, working through us in this fight, this collective effort to this building project of encouraging one another in the faith is power-assisted. Are you glad about that? I'm really glad about that because I'm weak. I'm puny. I know my weaknesses. I'm sure you know yours. I'm glad about that. Well, those truths have to encourage us to build one another up in the faith. And that's the positive aspect of building ourselves up. The negative aspect of that involves warning those who tear down the faith. So 1B, if you're taking notes, is warn those who tear down the faith. Verses 22 to 23. There are very few people in this room today, I'm sure, who have not doubted at some point, in some form. And doubt exists in various respects. We might doubt, uh, some people doubt the existence of God. Some people doubt the credibility of God's work. Uh, some people doubt some aspect of God's character. And what Jude is encouraging us to do is to deal with those who doubt. The temptation, whenever we have something that doesn't sit right in a church life, whether it's in relation to doubt or whether it's in relation to full-blown, what appears to be false teaching, the temptation, I suppose, is to ignore these things and hope that it will go away. I think that's quite naive. 
Uh, there's another temptation, I suppose, to be so alarmed that we sound some, something of a, a heresy siren and evacuate the church and look to form pure churches elsewhere. But that can be difficult because what we can end up doing is uh, leave those who believe false doctrine as uh, those who propagate false teaching uh, preying on the sheep. Uh, in other respects, we might be tempted to offer a warm welcome every week, anticipating that over time, people who teach false things or believe false things will be convinced, well, warmth is good, but by itself, that is, without any warning, might do more to condone false teaching rather than actually condemn it in the way that the Bible does. So what Jude is basically instructing us to do in 22 and 23 is not to is to engage false teachers and those who are tempted. And uh, in relation to that, we must do two things. One, be merciful. Be merciful in our action towards them. Just as we have, even as we saw in the previous verse, been the recipients of mercy, so we must show mercy to those who are starting to deviate from the truth. And Jude gives us three scenarios where merciful action is needed. Uh, One with those who doubt. Verse 22, be merciful to those who doubt. Many people find this a difficulty. They doubt various things. Uh, our, our temptation, as I've said, is to reject them or ignore them. But our hope should be that as we actively engage them, have conversations with them, show mercy to them as they struggle with their doubts, people can have their fears calmed. We can open up the Bible together and let God's Word do the talking. It's what we must do. And that are, that's the kind of thing that will help to instill a confidence in God's Word or There are those who doubt. There are those who are essentially playing with fire. And you have in verse 23, the command, snatch others from the fire and save them. So this seems to be, they seem to be in a little bit worse condition than those who are doubting. Uh, There are those who have fallen into sin, it seems. So in other words, they're in the flames, seduced into unbelief perhaps, rebellion, immorality by, by false teaching. Yet there is still that hope that they can be reclaimed, isn't there? Rescued from this judgment to come, represented by the fire, of course. And that restoration, that rescue is there in that word snatch. In other words, be active and be merciful towards them and do the snatching or else their end is going to be quite fiery. Then the third group are, are, I suppose, those who bought the lie. There's, There's even hope in this, you see, for those who seem to reject the faith. Verse 22, to others... Show mercy mixed with fear. And it seems likely this is speaking about those who are teaching false doctrine or else those who have completely fallen into it and have bought the lie. So the fear of falling into the same error, the fear of judgment for those who fall into the same error should not cause us with this group to be evasive at all, but it should make us very careful in our engagement. Did you see that? So as we seek to warn those who seek to tear down the faith we need to be merciful towards them but in our action in our activity be very careful the corruption that we're dealing with the false teaching that we're dealing with here can be very contagious we're not supposed to run away but still we are supposed to handle with care and Jude uses this image of clothing stained with corrupted flesh I think drawing from Zechariah 3 that we read from earlier today, which speaks of the filthy garments of Joshua. And 
Similarly, clothing stained by the corrupted flesh illustrates the sin of those Jude is warning us against. And he shows us the importance of showing the love, showing love at the right time, maintaining standards of purity and righteousness. That should be the attitude with which we engage people who are wandering from the truth as we see it. And that's the first thing. So build yourselves up. Build yourselves up in your most holy faith. And secondly, give your God praise. This is Jude's strategy for contending for the faith. And here is what God does for us. He keeps us from falling. Read that with me. Verse 24. To him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. Here's what God is doing for us. You know, there's a certain fear, I think, that's related to this topic of false teaching. Uh, There is this fear that we ourselves might be duped in our own weakness. There is a a fear, I suppose, of even our own gullibility at times. And we certainly know the tendency of our hearts towards sin and rebellion and unbelief. And even as we saw last week in the accounts of Israel and Korah and others like them, we see ourselves and think, wow, I I see myself in that picture. I see myself doing that in in various respects. Well, what news Jude has for us as we get ready to contend for this faith? It's the best news. God is your keeper. And God is your savior in this fight and in the face of this false teaching. He has already told us in verse 1, to those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. So he's told us those precious things about the church. And now almost to close the sandwich tells us that to him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault. It's a, it's a marvelous thing to see this golden thread woven into the very fabric of the book of Jude, that God is our keeper in the face of false teaching. That God is our savior in the face of such immorality and unbelief. Now, you might be saying, well, hang on a wee minute, Liam. Is there a bit of a contradiction in here? We're seeing, and at verse 1, right, I see that. We are kept. In verse 24, right, I see that. He keeps us. But what about this verse earlier where it says, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of Jesus Christ? Which is it? Is it do we do the keeping or does he do the keeping? Yes. Jude has no problem saying, keep yourselves in the love of God. And two sentences later saying, God is the one who keeps you. And God is, God's keeping of us does not cancel out our action, remember. We must do all we can to remain in the faith by holding fast to him, but be under no illusion. Our ability to remain faithful to the end as we wait for that mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Jude, is contingent on his keeping of us. And over and over In the Bible, we see this, God's action, decisive. Our action, dependent. And both actions, I believe, are essential. So please, please, please urge, I urge you to resist this mindset 
that says, if God is a decisive keeper of my soul for eternal life, as it says in verse 1 and verse 24, then I actually don't need to worry that much about all those, those four things that you told me to do earlier to keep myself in the love of God. Well, that would be just like saying, well, since God is a decisive giver of life and breath, then I don't need to eat. It's nonsense. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense at all. What is presented for us here is that God is the keeper of us by his grace who keeps us from falling. And guess what else? Enables us to stand. And don't miss the significance of this. In the presence of our most holy God, everybody loses their footing. Everybody. No one can stand in the presence of a holy God. Even some of the heroes of the faith who had the closest communion that I suppose is earthly possible in this kind of life, lose their footing. When the Lord appears, even as a shadow, even as a, to give them that little glimpse, parting back that little veil of heaven, just that little bit, so they can catch something of his glory. Isaiah is like, I'm coming apart. No one can stand in his presence. What enables us then to not only stand in his presence, but see what it says here, to stand without what? fault. And we all have them. Sinful faults, that is. What is it that enables us not only to stand in his presence, but stand without fault? Certainly not anything that we have done. Certainly not anything on account of our keeping. Only what Christ has done on our behalf will have any bearing on that day. He is the one that has taken God's wrath, God's just punishment against sin upon himself on that cross so that on that day to come we will not bear it that we will not be left in the fire to burn he on that cross jesus laid down his life for ours as our substitute so that as our sin is transferred to him that he might bear away with it forever and remove the curse that was upon us that we might have transferred to our spiritual account the credit of his 100% spotless righteousness. It is the greatest transaction this world has ever seen. And one of the reasons I think that we see have such great joy in his presence is because we will hardly believe we've got there. How? 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 Will be the question in the midst of glory to God. How? When I know who I am and what I've done and what I deserved, how? Well, this is where we see what we give to God. We are not to be self-congratulatory. We are to give Him glory. Ah, but Liam, doesn't Jesus tell us that we'll hear God say on that final day, well done, good and faithful servant, come and share my joy? Well, yes, God will say that to those who are faithful, but what will our response be? Will it be, why, thank you, Lord, I thought I was especially good in this particular area of my life. No, we won't. We will be saying glory and honor and praise to you who gave me the strength, to you who gave me the Savior who would bear away my sin and bring me to receive such mercy. He is praiseworthy in every respect, praiseworthy 
in every age for he for who he is in himself never mind what he's done even apart from the cross God is glorious and awe-inspiringly transcendent in himself but the cross the cross is that precious precious revelation of the definitive truth the definitive proclamation of that great love that God has for himself, that great love that God has for us, that he would make himself known in that way by dealing with that that keeps us from him, our sin. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forever. Forever and ever and ever may God be praised for his glory. If you're here today, you're not a Christian. I'm glad you're here. You know, there is a common view that man is his own savior. There is a common view that the human being is the ultimate being. And that the building of something majestic and praiseworthy is possible. Maybe not in our lifetime, but in the generations to come. As we increase in our knowledge, increase in our ability, increasing all the time. We're going to build something magnificent. Danny Boyle, the man who orchestrated the opening ceremony of the Olympic Games, asks us, invites us to see the hope through all the noise and excitement. He says, I hope you'll catch a glimpse of the single golden thread of purpose in this opening ceremony. The idea of Jerusalem, he says, of the better world. The world of real freedom and true equality. A world that can be built through what? What do we, what do we build with? With this collective effort? Oh, Bible reading and prayer. Those things? What, what, what are we going to build with, Danny? A world that can be built through the prosperity of industry. Through the caring nation that built the welfare state through the joyous energy of popular culture and through the dream of universal communication, a belief that we can build Jerusalem, he says. That Olympic opening ceremony, quite a thing to see 204 nations gathered there and all the athletes and the, the, the lights and everything. When those rings came together, I was just like, epic. That is, that is fantastic. I really enjoyed that. I could watch it over and over again. That's the best that our money and our entertainers can come up with. And ultimately, ultimately, what was it? It was pitiful. It was more like a Punch and Judy show at the end of Blackpool Pier compared to that great day and compared to that great song. And you know they had at the end of that little piece at the start, the inventor of the World Wide Web and in lights all around the stadium as he waved to receive their adulation. This is for everyone. 
No, 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 no. This is for everyone. This salvation. This great message of Christ and the cross. This glory, praise, and honor, and adulation being given, not to us, Lord, but to your name be glory. That's what it's all about. That's what we're called to build. And if you're here today, you're not a Christian. Please see, even in this text today, the futility of building anything else apart from what Jude prescribes. Repent from your sin. You have a, you have a mercy that awaits you if you turn to Christ in faith, believing in him, and you must. And I pray that even today you might be snatched from that fire. Brothers and sisters, we have a gospel to proclaim. And we have a God who is rightly to be praised. Let's bow our heads together and let's pray to him.